Hello and welcome everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm David Widmar, managing partner and co-founder of AEI.ag and AEI Premium. Today, I want to talk with you about today's September the 23rd, but wanted to recap. There's a lot that went on this week. One of those weeks where you got to sort of hit the pause button and say, you know, what's the two or three stories that are most important to discuss here in our recording? And Going to focus on some recent articles we wrote on AEI Premium, but also think about that connect to the, the Fed's latest movement here of raising interest rates another 75 basis points. So the first thing we want to talk about, let's, let's jump into that topic. And listeners, premium subscribers will remember that at the beginning of 2022, we had gotten a lot of questions about what do you think is going to happen with interest rates? And that's a pretty generic, vague open-ended question. And we believe that those often lead to frustrations. And so Brent and I talked about it, and we believe there are three primary components that were worth breaking down. And it was how soon might the Fed raise rates, how aggressively might they raise rates in 2022. And then in our opinion, the most importantly, what might happen with long-term interest rates? So we wrote three questions. What's the probability of the Fed raising rates before June 30th? What's the probability of the Fed fund rate being raised above 1.75%? on or before January 1st, 2023? And then what's the probability of the 10-year treasuries exceeding 3.5% before the 1st of January, 2023? And what's important to note here is that all three of those have been resolved. We had three interest rate questions or a few interest rate questions. I think there's just two last year and those never hit the benchmark. They timed out. But this time around, we noticed and we've observed that all three of those got knocked out. In March, the Federal Reserve first raised interest rates. In June, they exceeded that 1.75% threshold. And this week, actually the day before the Fed, on the 20th, I believe, the day before the Feds announced they were raising those short-term rates, 75 basis points, the 10-year treasuries exceeded 3.5%. And you can see where we've been with these 10-year treasuries, 3.5% is one of the highest interest rates that we've seen in recent memory, maybe the past decade. But if you really step back, there isn't many times throughout the 2000s or isn't many times throughout the 1990s when those rates were at near and definitely not below that 3.5%. So high for our last decade, but pretty low still in that historic context. The other thing that's worth thinking about is how much uncertainty there was about this. The Interest rates started the year somewhere around 2.5% for those 10-year treasuries. They got close in June. They got 3.49%. They didn't cross or hit that 3.5 threshold. They fell back below 3. They had like a 2.6% there at the beginning of August. And then they turned sharply higher in in the last 90 days. And they've crossed that 3.5% threshold. In our opinion, in our mind, at least my thinking, these longer-term interest rates are perhaps more important to agriculture and the agricultural economy. And why is because we think about farm loans, these longer-term interest rates, we get hyper-focused on the Fed's actions with these short-term rates, the Fed funds rates. But it's often more insightful to keep an eye on the broader debt markets. You know, these 10-year treasuries are traded every day and they're going to move based on anticipation of the Fed actions, but then other information that happens between the meetings. And so we see these markets moving a lot. And what we've seen is these longer-term interest rate markets have moved quite a bit, and that's going to impact the interest rates that producers ultimately face as they go into the loan renewal season this winter, but also thinking about 
you know, buying new equipment and financing it or buying new farmland and financing that as well. Let's talk a little about the consensus. The consensus started around 30%, got as high as uh, 50 or 60% throughout the summer and then fell pretty sharply again as rates fell through August. And then, of course, in the last 90 days, the really in the last 30 days, the consensus jumped from 20% all the way to 95% in the days ahead of that report. So we're going to write some new questions about interest rates. We've kind of blown through those three. We'll see how that goes. And as we're thinking about this, it's probably going to be a combination of how aggressive does the Fed raise rates for the next year? Does the Fed back off and maybe lower rates at any point? Do they announce a rate drop? And I think the second piece here that might be new to our thinking is does the Fed deviate from its asset reduction plan on the balance sheet. You know, there's this other secret weapon, not secret weapon, this other overlooked weapon, well, not really talked about weapon of expanding the balance sheet during the crisis. Now they've got a plan in place and they're working away at shrinking that balance sheet. And we'll see if the Fed keeps with that and is able to sort of stick with that. We've wrote about that before, a long plan, uh, multiple year plan, almost a decade to get it sort of wound down. We'll see how they stick with that as we move ahead. Also, some good news, or at least not bad news, is take a look at updated fertilizer prices. And a lot of producers are getting started with harvest. At the harvest, they might start thinking about locking in fertilizer prices. You know, there's a situation where fertilizer prices, especially in hydrous ammonia, are down quite a bit, double digit declines, but are still historically high. And you can see that from this data. We were around $1,600 a ton back in the spring, and we're somewhere around $1,200 a ton. Still, producers who maybe bought their fertilizer a year ago could still see some sticker shock, still maybe higher prices than they saw maybe a year ago, but some moderation or at least not a continuation of an escalation. Prices haven't continued higher. On the other side of the coin, the other nitrogen sources, urea, liquid 28%, they've come down, but not as much as anhydrous prices have come down. P and K, uh, DAP, MAP, and potash, those prices are largely unchanged from the spring. And so again, this is a situation where there is some positive news, especially in the nitrogen side, especially for anhydrous ammonia, but for phosphorus, potassium, we haven't seen much improvement there yet. It is worth noting that it was the nitrogen that got really out of hand, historic highs this past spring. Previous high was about $1,200 a ton for anhydrous. It got up to $1,600, and now it came back to that $1,200 per ton level. You know, P and K, DAP and potash, we are slightly below, almost near those previous you know highs that we have data for going back to 2008. What's the expense situation look like? Well, $40 an acre is about how much the decline has came in at. So you take the net of the fertilizer on the nitrogen and the P and the K, it's about a $40 per acre savings, 14% decline, but still historically high, $235 per acre. It's down from 2021, but still way above you know the 2020 lows of $90 an acre. So we'll have to put that into context. And lastly, there's a lot of ways to think about how burdensome fertilizer is as it pertains to the budget. And when we've thought about this over time, we saw that fertilizer typically isn't a huge burden or the biggest burden when the fertilizer prices are at their per ton high because corn prices are often typically high there. It's when corn prices fall or commodity prices fall more quickly than the fertilizer expense adjusts lower. And that happened in 2015, whenever fertilizer got to about 20% of the budgeted revenue for context. The it was about 18% when we had those really high fertilizer prices during the 2011 to 2013 timeframe. 
In 2020, we saw that got to a new high of 22%, and we expect it to decline to 20% for 2023. So it's still burdensome, but I do think one of the differences here today in 2022 versus 2015 is there are some profits. And so it's still a large share. It's the largest share of the budget, but we still think there's going to be some profits in the potential for economic returns, positive economic returns, given current price situation. But we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll update you all as more information becomes available and as we get closer to the planting season. The last article I have for you today is an ideas that make us better. And this is an article that I stumbled, we wrote back almost two years ago, and I was thinking about it this week. And the context for how I was thinking about it is we're really encouraging producers as we travel around this season and doing our presentations to think about the power of positioning over predicting. And, you know, it's human to want to predict what the future has in store. And Brent and I spend a lot of time at trying to help people navigate uncertainty using better tools for conversation around that, right? So instead of saying, do you think corn prices go higher? What's the probability of corn prices hitting X level by this time frame? And that's a better way of predicting or the better way of communicating about that uncertainty. But to take that one step even further, so step one is to get better about communications around uncertainty and get better about your thinking about the future, that idea of predicting. The next level here, the next step up in our management is to position. And it reminded me because I was trying to think about how can I get a better forecast? What did I have missed? And what can I read to help me get a better forecast about this or better expectation about where interest rate markets might be or the exchange rates or even commodity prices? And what I realized is we can get sort of narrowly focused on fo forecasting for the sake of forecasting. And if we don't stop and smell the roses from time to time, and we don't stop and say, okay, how can I position my business? We could be falling victim to this get there itis or more formerly academically known as the continuation bias. And what's the continuation bias? Well, the continuation bias, I think the best way to think about this is that maybe you're getting ready to board an airplane and it's a snowstorm approaching. And all of a sudden, you know, the pilots are rushing you, the crew's rushing to get everybody on board so they can get out of this pending snowstorm quick enough. And so they're going through all of this and trying to meet the pilot's deadline. Like, hey, if we get out of here, in 50, if we can get this plane loaded in 15 minutes, we can beat the storm out of here. And what happens as we're trying to beat that goal, that 15-minute goal, is sometimes the weather can shift. Maybe that window has gotten bigger or maybe it's closed and we've sort of lost that window, but we oftentimes miss that change in the environment. And so I think a lot of times, you know, when we're trying to get that forecast or we're trying to do really good with our forecast, we might overlook this bigger story picture of like, okay, how should I position my business to make sure that I'm properly adjusted for the current interest rate environment or the, the chance of a higher interest rate environment. And so it can be really rewarding to be focused on a singular outcome or a singular goal, but it has its drawbacks and we want to make sure that we don't, you know, pursue something too focusedly that we sort of miss the force, the changing force, the evolving force being focused on a tree. And oftentimes our success is really based on how we're able to adjust our plans to these big picture shifts. And so the last line here in this article that we wrote is pretty important. The key to managing Plan continuation bias is to be mindful of how we respond when the conditions change. We want to make sure that 
we're updating our plans when the situations around us change. So that's all we have for you this week. Hopefully this recording and this conversation is helpful for your decision-making. As always, don't hesitate to reach out with ideas for ways that we can continue to improve the articles that we prepare and ideas that we share and always looking for great topics for upcoming articles. Again, I'm David Widmar joining you this week. In the meantime, stay curious. Thank you.